Now, we're continuing in our series that we've titled Inspired. We've been looking at the 66 love letters. And last week, we dealt with Galatians and Ephesians. We find ourselves into the epistle writings that the Apostle Paul wrote to these uh, churches that are scattered throughout. Now, let me, let me share something with you as we get in, uh, to, to this talk today. We're going to throw a map up. I'll explain something here in a minute regarding the map. But when Paul wrote these letters to the various churches, Philippi, Colossae, whatever that we're looking at today, Thessalonica, the first letter many scholars believe that Paul wrote was his letter to the believers in Thessalonica. First Thessalonians was really the first book he wrote as a letter. So when you pick up the scripture, you've got to understand that the Bible as we have it, it's not laid out in chronological order of how it was written or even who it was written to. So that being said, when you read it, uh, it's a letter to a church in a specific spot. Now, as you get into reading Philippians and Colossians, where we're going to go today, Philemon, whatever, these are called uh, the Pauline epistles that he wrote while he was in prison. So these were all written by Paul while he was in jail for preaching the gospel. Make sense? So as I break down these uh, letters for you today, or kind of an overview, I'm going to share uh, about Colossae or Colossians first, and then we'll close today with Philippians. Now, on the map, I think it's important to kind of see where these areas or these churches were planted. Now, Paul went on a first missionary journey, a second missionary journey, third missionary journey, as the gospel was beginning to spread. But when you see Colossae, Colossae is over by Laodicea. It's about 100 miles, if you will, from Ephesus. We talked about Ephesus last week. It's on the water. Uh, it was a melting pot of nationalities. But Colossae is a little more inland. The Hierapolis was a, a place where these hot springs were. I've studied the Mediterranean and all this stuff uh, with, with where Colossae, where Laodicea, where all that region was. And when you, when you start to pay attention to it, uh, many scholars believe that Colossae, that region, uh, was breeding grounds for cults and polytheistic beliefs. It, it's, it's, it's in, it's where Jewish legalism had a stronghold. It's where a lot of angel worship was happening. Greek philosophy had infiltrated the area. Uh, people were very pious about what they did with their body and how they depraved their body of certain things. It's a crazy area when you study Colossae of Paul's day. Now, we'll eventually we'll go uh, to Philippi. Philippi is over by Thessalonica up around Macedonia, and it's very much so on the water as well. But when you start to look at a book, always ask the question of who's writing it, why is he writing this letter, what is specifically going on during that time, and what you'll realize is Colossae was a very, very polytheistic uh, poly-worship, if you will, place. There was a lot of different deities and a lot of different gods that people would bow to. Now, the church at Colossae, the church at Colossae was only a few years old when Paul writes this letter. The church was under attack by false teachers who had come in and were teaching the people in Colossae that Jesus Christ was not God. They were minimizing and trivializing Jesus, saying he was a good moral teacher, but he wasn't God. So they were absolutely bashing Trinity and deity. So when Paul writes to the believers, he's confronting false prophets and false teachers right out of the gate. 
And what he's emphasizing emphatically is Jesus Christ is God. And don't shrink him down to anything less. So in reality, when you study the epistles, I believe one of the strongest passages that we have that deals with the deity of Christ and the trinity of Jesus being a part of that triune God and the preeminence of who he is is Colossians chapter 1. And he's writing because of the false teachers and the corrupt teaching that was coming in. So when you pick up the text and you start to read, we get to verse 13 of chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says. The Father rescued us from the domain of darkness. You were born into the world dead in your sin and trespasses, but I want you to know, guys, as I write to you, the Father has rescued us from the domain of darkness. The Father has transferred us into the kingdom of his Son. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and he who walks in darkness, uh, I, I can free you. I can give you hope. And so when, when Paul writes this, he's like, y'all were living in darkness, all of you, but the Father has rescued you. Listen to what he says. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his Son, in whom, in whom Jesus, we have redemption. You've been bought back from your sinful state, <clears throat> and now you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You've been bought back by Jesus. Listen to what he says. You've been granted the forgiveness of sin. God's not holding your sin against you any longer. Your forgiveness hinges on Jesus. That, that's right. And then he says, Jesus Christ is. If I have an old copy of Scripture, like some of you still use paper Bible, which praise the Lord, I would circle the word is. Jesus Christ is. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn, go ahead and circle this word right here, of all creation. So Paul is writing saying there are these false teachers that have come in and they're misusing and abusing the text and they're misleading you. I want you to know Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He is the image of the invisible God. Listen to what he goes on to say. For by him, Jesus, it's like five or six times he uses the word all here. It's phenomenal. For by him, Jesus, all things were created. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and then God creates. And then God says, let us make man in our own image. Us, plural. Who, who was us? Let's see what he says. By him, Jesus, all things were created. He is the image of the invisible God. Things visible, invisible, both in heaven, earth, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all, all things have been created through him. All things have been created for him. This is fundamental. He, Jesus, is before all things, right? He didn't start when start got started. Jesus started start. He didn't begin when the beginning began. He began the beginning because he's before all things. In him, Jesus, all things hold together. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. 
the deity and the preeminence of Christ that Paul just drives strongly into the ground saying, he's God. He's God. Don't reduce him. Don't trivialize him. Don't, don't minimize who he is. Jesus Christ is God in flesh. That, that, that's right. He's God. He's creator. He's redeemer. He's sustainer. He's perfecter. He made it. He redeemed you with his blood. He conquered death and hell in the grave. Amen. Jesus is God. So that is the argument that he's laying out because of the false teaching going on in Colossae. Now, here's what I would say to you, and I want you to hear me on this one, please. Pay close attention to who you listen to. Pay close attention to who you read. Pay close attention to who you endorse. Just because a person has a public ministry with great followers doesn't mean that they're teaching truth. When some of the larger churches in our nation today, and a pastor is asked the question, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father? Well, I, I believe God is just, and I'm going to let him answer that question. I'm like, are you serious? Where is the backbone? Do you not have any spiritual intestinal fortitude in you? And, and, and there's, a, there's a buzz going out in our society, and has been for, for years, where we're willing to weaken the message to gain more followers. It doesn't work. Pay close attention to who you listen to, what you read, who you endorse, <clears throat> what you claim you believe, what your doctrine is. Because I'm telling you, there's a lot of corruption, not only with what we would call cults, but even certain individuals that we would say, Dustin, are evangelical. Pay close attention. False prophets, corrupt teachers, they misuse, they abuse the word of God. They're, they cut and paste and they build an argument that's inconsistent with the narrative of scripture. Watch out, pay attention. Who you listen to? Who is Jesus? Because that is the fundamental question that I've got to deal with. I've got to deal with it. And so in our society, you've had it happen, and so have I. At the door. How you doing? Amen. I'm uh, Elder John. Hello, Elder John. This is my buddy, Elder Paul. Hello, Elder John and Elder Paul. Now, now it says LDS. Who are y'all with? We're with G the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh, you're Mormons. Yes. Okay. So, so, so Elder John, Elder Paul, Elder... Before I ask my question, you realize that based on Scripture, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, that in order to be an elder, you've got to be the husband of one wife, 
You've got to manage your own household well. You can't be a new convert. You've got to have a good reputation with those outside the church. You're 23 years old. How did y'all become elders? You understand that based even on the Puritan teaching, that the Puritans of old would not allow a person to become an elder until they were at least 40 and had shown themselves to be above reproach, husband of but one wife, a one woman man, and they had raised their family well, and they were not conceited. How did y'all become elders? And then these girls that came by the other day, they've got girls going out now. And I said, can I ask y'all a question? Have you ever studied the Trinity? And the one girl from Oregon looked at me and she said, I never have. You, you, you've never studied, studied the Trinity? No. Now, you understand, based on where you're coming from and based on the teaching of Joseph Smith, the Pearl of Great Doctrine, the misrepresentation of truth in the text of the Mormon translation, you, you realize y'all dissect Trinity and dismiss deity. Do, do, would you be open if I can send you or give you some stuff? Because here's the Mormon's view regarding Jesus Christ. Jesus is a separate God, small g. He is a separate God from the Father. The Father is different. He was created as a spirit child by the Father and Mother in heaven. He's the elder brother of all men. His body was created through the sexual union between Elohim and Mary. Now, Jesus was married. His death on the cross will not provide full atonement for your sin, but his resurrection at least offers hope. That is the fundamental thought process of the LDS Mormon. That was the teaching of Joseph Smith based on this incredible revelation he said he had in New York when the angel Moroni visited him. Now, do you know how to dialogue with an LDS Mormon? They're young. Do you know the word? Don't let anyone come in there and t take you down a, a rabbit, rabbit's hole. Don't, don't, don't do that. He's like, y'all listen to me. Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is God. How are you? Well, uh, good. Uh, we're, we're just seeing if we could drop off a copy of a watchtower to you today. A Watchtower, I got you. I really appreciated Hendrix's album, Watchtower, but I'm not going to read Charles Taze Russell's information regarding the Watchtower because, so you guys are with the Jehovah Witness movement. Yes. Who is Jesus? And again, if you go to the Mormon translation, the JWs, there's others. They take John 1.1 and say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was a God. Small a, small g, dismiss deity, trinity. Uh, a JW will tell you this, if they get honest. Jesus is not God. Before he lived on earth, he was Michael the archangel. Jehovah made the universe through him, but on earth, he, he lived a perfect life, but he didn't die on a cross. He died at the stake he was resurrected as a spirit, but his body was destroyed. He's not coming again. He made this appearance. He was kind of invisible back in 1914 when he appeared to Charles Taze Russell. We're not going to use that guy's name, but here's what's going to happen. 
He will return with his angels, and they're going to destroy everybody that's not at JW. So he's, he's, he's not God. Who is Jesus? Jesus takes the boys, Matthew 16, to the Mount of Transfiguration and says, who do people say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist and others say Elijah. But who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, that's right. And upon that bolder statement that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I am Jesus, Messiah, the son of the living God, God in flesh. Now, I, I coached you up last week and I encouraged you that, again, this is, I'm not bashing, I've got friends that still stay in the Catholic Church. And I told you if I was sharing with a Catholic, I would use the book of Galatians because of how much emphasis the Judaizers placed on Jesus plus more, circumcision, law. Some of my friends in the Catholic Church, they place great emphasis on Jesus plus more. They give the Pope papal authority. They believe that Mary is almost co-equal redeemer. And there's a lot of things they emphasize there. It's not true. So but if I'm dealing with Mormons and JWs, I use the book of Colossians. You've got to know the core doctrines of Christianity. Now, we are a non-denominational church, and sometimes people go, well, you're non-denominational, and they assume that we're non-doctrine. Didn't say that. We're strong on doctrine. We believe that God is Trinity. God reveals himself. God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that God is one. We believe that God has revealed himself. We believe that the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross accomplished everything that the Father required in regards to redeeming lost man back to himself. I'm, I'm telling you, what was the finished work? It is finished. I have done everything the Father has asked me to do. For religions, cults, whatever is out there, to trivialize and minimize that the work of Jesus was not sufficient and enough. It's heresy. We believe that humanity was burdened with sinfulness and stuck in sin and alienated from God. We believe that. We believe that every person we meet was born into the world, dead in your sin and trespasses. We believe that by grace, through faith alone, a person is redeemed. We believe, Chad, in the inspiration of Scripture. It's inerrant. It's without error. There are certain core doctrines, Danny, that we believe. And you've got to know what you believe. You've got to be careful of who you listen to, what you read, what you endorse. Just because a person has charismatic personality does not mean that they have purity of theology and doctrine. I'm telling you right now, in our culture today, there's so many people that do not know what the Word of God says, and they endorse and embrace personality. It's like, why? They're not teaching truth.
It's heresy. Paul would go on to write to these believers in Colossae. Y'all listen. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies. Chapter 2, verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you with deception that comes from human thinking, from the spiritual powers of this world. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. Don't let anyone condemn you for not celebrating certain holy days, ceremonies. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on this pious self-denial. Their sinful minds have made them proud. I, I would encourage you to study this, but I, I want to I focus on one thing. Just one thing out of this. Consider the diets and food mandates that other religions have. When he writes, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. Now, now listen to me. There are certain religions that are so rigid and condemning and harsh toward diet. I'm going to make a few observations here. Judaism. Even if you go back and study the early tenets of Judaism, they are very particular and they have great restrictions on how meat is slaughtered. You cannot have pork. You cannot have shellfish. But they're very conservative, especially when it comes to having a kosher diet from a Judaistic standpoint. There's great restrictions on how you can prep meat. When Barb and I were over in Israel back in January, we would get up in the morning and go down to have breakfast. There was no Jimmy Dean sausage. Didn't have no country ham. We did have eggs, but we had mackerel and sardines. It's like, can you eat mackerel and sardines for breakfast? Sure. If you're hungry. But I'm telling you. So there were certain people in this area in Colossae that were bringing extreme Jewish, Judaistic legalism, and they're like, you're not free in Christ. You, got, you, you still got to do this. This Greek philosophy and all this stuff, it was crazy. Hindus, my buddy Neil is from Trinidad. He grew up around a lot of Hindus. Hindus have a teaching in their belief system where you can have no meat, no fish, no chicken, no eggs. Beef is prohibited. It's sacred. It's like, I guess killing your chihuahua over there. It's like, you can't do that. I'm not saying I like chihuahua. I'm just saying it's <laughs> sacred. Milk products are available for a Hindu. You can have cheese. You can have milk, but you can't have the meat. Like, man, I don't want to be a Hindu. And then Mormons, you go study the Mormon belief. They can have no caffeine and no alcohol. And I was like, there is no way Nick from his Methodist background could ever be a Mormon. Praise the Lord. So I was talking about the caffeine piece with Nick. So <laughs> Seventh-day Adventists are extreme vegetarian. They avoid meat, poultry, fish. They'll eat eggs. Again, alcohol is pro prohibited. Now, when Paul is writing this, and I, I want you to consider this, he, he's like, there's a lot of people that Focus on things that really don't ultimately matter. Are you listening? Don't let them judge you for what you eat and drink. Now, he's not saying 
You're free in Christ. If you want to have Twinkies and Little Debbies for breakfast with a Dr. Pepper, go for it. That would be stupid. Right? I mean, you've been bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. Watch what you put in it. It's it's not licentiousness to eat like a slob. It's not. Craig, it's not licentiousness just to drink whatever we want to drink. That's not what he's saying here. But he's saying is, you need to focus on what matters. And there's going to be people that come in and people try to rob the joy of the Lord from you and they're going to focus on things at times. Don't let them, through their empty deception, philosophies, don't let them come in condemning you. You are complete because of Christ. This is where he would write in Colossians 3, verse 15. Focus on what matters. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Verse 15, let the peace of Jesus, the shalom and the comfort of Christ, but the peace, rule your heart, heart, the center of who you are that drives everything you are. Let it rule. That's where we get the English word, rule, officiate and umpire. Let the peace, power, presence of Christ, let it officiate and umpire your your heart every day. That, that, that matters. Focus on that. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Y'all want to focus on what matters? You can look at these holy days and do you celebrate this moon and this festival and what do you eat and are you pious? Are you allowing the peace of Christ to dwell? Are you allowing the word of God to dwell? What's ruling you? What's dwelling inside your heart. And then he writes, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Do it heartily as unto the Lord rather than for man. What are you talking about? Whatever you do, as you allow the peace of Christ to rule and the word of God to richly dwell. Whatever you do in your talk or in your walk, do it for the glory of God. Don't tell me you love Jesus. And don't tell me that you're on the altar as a living sacrifice. And you're degrading and abusing and slandering other people. Whatever you do in word... Whatever you do indeed, do it for the glory of God because what you're going to be showing is the peace is ruling your heart and the word is dwelling in your mind. And when you're walking with the peace of Christ and the word, the truth, the rhema sayings of God, you're not going to slander, degrade, rip other people to shreds. And there is so much that you can understand about an individual by just listening oh so which jesus are you representing you're dogging everybody you've got such a critical spirit what do you like whatever you do in word or in deed do it for the glory of jesus christ whatever you do conduct yourself in a manner that represents Jesus Christ. Colossians. There's a lot of false teachers, a lot of false prophets. Pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to who you read. Pay attention to what you endorse and what you believe. Hey, hey, hey. Focus on what matters. Stay in Colossians 3. 
That's right. And then probably my favorite epistle is the book of Philippians. I mean, I love the book of Romans. I love it all. I love Ephesians. I love it. But Philippians, man, I love that book. And, and as I started pondering Philippians years ago, I, I, again, I've shared with you and I'll repeat it, but when I was getting ready to have my third arm surgery, when I was with the Dodgers, my shoulder was killing me, and I, I'm like, i got to have surgery. And it was like every day, morning and night, for over 21 days, I just read Philippians. I'd read the four chapters in the morning, write notes and what God was saying. I would read it at night. I would journal thoughts. I'd get up the next day, do the same thing, same thing at night. And even before I went into surgery that day to have my shoulder cut open, and I'm like, I'm going to read Philippians. And when the anesthesia at least wore off, I'm like, I'm committed to read Philippians before I go to sleep tonight. And I read it every day. Why? Because it is a perspective of joy. Paul is writing from a damp dungeon in Rome. It is a rat-infested, sewage-infested environment where Paul is writing from. And what is he writing? He's writing that the joy of the Lord can be central. He's writing that your circumstances will never make you. They will only reveal you. He's writing that the joy of the Lord trumps your circumstances. So he writes this letter of joy. That's why I wanted to read it every day. You're about to go through a tough time. There's a great chance baseball's over for you. Focus on the joy of the Lord. Don't focus on your circumstances. Don't focus on where you're at. Don't focus on what you're going through. Focus on what don't change. Christ. And, and, and if there's any word that captures the book of Philippians to me, it's the word joy, but it's the word thankfulness. I'm so thankful. I'm so joyful because of, of, of what Christ is doing, and I'm just so thankful. And I started thinking about that. Like, what would it look like if we had the Philippian perspective every day in doing life? Well, what would it look like? Because when Paul writes to this church, he starts off Paul and Timothy, bondservants, and he gets to verse 3 and he says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. Every time I remember you, I just thank God in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6, I'm just so thankful that the God who began a good work in you and me is going to be faithful to perfect and complete this work until the day of Christ Jesus. Yes, I'm thankful. If you woke up every morning, looked in the mirror, and just stood there and said, Jesus, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful that you have be you've begun a work in me. You, you, you said you would be faithful to perfect the work you're doing in me. Just thankful. You get to verse 12, I highlighted that one. Whatever happens to you, wherever you're at, I, I want you to know that your circumstances are going to turn out for the greater progress of the gospel. That's what Paul said in verse 12. I want you to know I'm chained up here in this Praetorian jail cell with these other Praetorian guards, but I, I want you to know why they got me here that my circumstances are turning out for the greater progress of the gospel. They can't shut me up. And I highlighted that in 1988. Before I ever spoke, before I ever preached a first sermon, before I ever did anything really, 
as far as ministry, I'm laying there going, all right, God, I am going to choose to believe that my circumstances, Sentinel Hospital, Inglewood, California, bam, I'm choosing to believe that what's happening is going to be for the greater advancement of the gospel. How's it going to work out? I don't know. I get to verse 21 and I'm like, yes, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live has got to be Jesus. I'm like, yes. So, Rick, we get to verse 27. We've talked about this one where Paul says, so when whatever happens, guys, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Whatever happens to you, you see where I'm at? You see where I'm living? You, you smell the environment? Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner, a manner worthy of the gospel. Let, let other people see who you belong to. That's right. Verse 29. Not only have you been granted the privilege to trust Christ for salvation, you've been granted the privilege to suffer for his name's sake. That's right. Hey, hey. You've been granted the privilege to trust him where you can spend eternity with him and where Jesus becomes your Lord. But you've been granted the privilege to suffer for his name's sake. You've been granted the privilege to be betrayed and rejected. It's like, okay. And I think a lot more of us, just listen, I think a lot more of us would engage in fighting the good fight and becoming salt and light and becoming broken bread and spilled out wine for the gospel if God would promise us a Judas-free journey. But, but, but Jesus, you had a Judas in your life that betrayed you, that sold you out, and so will you. You're not willing to suffer, are you? You're not willing to be betrayed. You're not willing to be rejected. You, you, you want applause. You like people saying, that a boy. Look at you. Oh, you've been granted the privilege to suffer. Whew, okay. I'm, I'm telling you, th this letter and the perspective of joy and thankfulness changed my entire journey. So you get to chapter 2, and he's like, is there any consolation in your, in your love, in your fellowship? Anything like going on really cool where y'all are getting united in one purpose and Pursuing the same stuff in Christ? Any consolation? Yes, there's, there's a lot. Then make my joy complete. Make, make my joy complete, he says. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but with humility of mind, regard other people more important than yourself. That's right. Now, quit thinking about you. Quit elevating you to the throne. Is there any joy in following Jesus? Yes. Any consolation? Any, any unity in the spirit? Yes. Lay it, lay it aside. Regard others as more important than yourself. Look, look at Jesus, who although he possessed equality with God, he did not hold on to it as something to boast about, but he laid it aside. And he took on the form of a servant, that's what Philippians 2 says. He, he became a servant. He, even a servant to the point of death on the cross. But therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, 
Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. Look at Jesus. Uh, that's who you're following, right? Yes. That's right. So, so do all things without grumbling and complaining. C continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God is at work both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Remember you're living in a perverse generation. Let, let your light shine. Be, be a star. Be a, a bright spot for the kingdom. And one of my favorite passages, Dustin, is that Philippians 2. This is what we've shared, my brother Dustin and I, for years. But Philippians 2, 19 through 22, where Paul says, hey, guys, I'm over here in this damp dungeon. I want to get back over there and hang in Philippi with you. Y'all would be so wise to know this piece of Philippians. But he goes, I'm going to send Timothy to you. I don't have anyone else like him. And he lists three things. I have no one else like Timothy. I have no one else like him of kindred spirit. When I hang out with that guy, we're kindred. It feels like we're yoked up. It feels like we're almost family. I have no one else like him who has a genuine love for Jesus and others. And I have no one else like him of proven character. So when I sat down and started talking to Dustin, I'm like, People would go, why, why, why'd you pursue him? Because I've hung out with a lot of guys, but I've got a kindred spirit with Dustin. And, and with all my heart, I'm like, that guy loves Jesus and loves other people. And his character is clean. Even when people have tried to attack him, what happened there? I'll tell you what happened. I'm like, man, his character is clean. I use that for ministry partnership. I would highly encourage you to use that for business relations. And Dustin, if... If we violate any of those three, muddies the water. So Paul is saying, hey, I love y'all. Here's the rep. So Philippians 3, he lays out his biographical sketch. Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised the eighth day according to the tribe of Benjamin. I was zealous and I had all this stuff. Verse 7 of chapter 3, he goes, uh, hey, whatever things were gained to me, I count as loss." Is rubbish, is trash in view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And then he says in verse 10, Drew, I want to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. I want to be conformed into the likeness of his death. Guys, I can tell y'all, I just want to know Jesus. He goes on to write 12 through 14, not that I've already obtained it, not that I've already become perfect, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. I'm pressing into what lies ahead. Man, I'm pressing into Jesus. I got to attain it. He just continues to build them up. Man, I love y'all. Stay focused on what matters. Get to chapter 4, verse 4, and he says, I'm telling y'all, rejoice in the Lord. Always rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentle forbearing spirit be made known to all. The Lord is near. Rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in Jesus. Give thanks to the Lord. Focus on Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to the Lord. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So whatever is pure and right and holy and lovely and excellent and praiseworthy, if there be anything of like good report, let your mind be fixed on these things and the peace of God. Not that, not, 
that I speak from want, but I've learned how to be content in every situation. Amen. I've learned how to be content with a lot and with nothing and being fed and being hungry and being clothed and being naked. I, I, I've learned how to be content in life, guys. My contentment is found in Jesus Christ because I'm rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ. That, that, that's where the verse is found. It's not a rabbit's foot. It's not this little lucky charm. What's your favorite verse? Philippians 4.13. Why? I can do all things through Christ. It's about you. Paul said it's all about him. I've learned to be content with Jesus. Craig, my God's going to supply everything I need. Paul, where are you writing it from? Prison. A damp dungeon. Stinking sewage rats running around. But Paul, how about the false teachers? Paul, how about the dudes that teach, name it, and claim it? The reason you're there is you don't have enough faith, Paul. The reason you're sick is you don't have enough faith. Now, who did God use to write the majority of the New Testament? The false teachers that are confronted in Colossians fall apart when you read the Apostle Paul. Oh, you just got to have more faith. God wants you to be rich. For real? No. You willing to be my disciple? Paul, you are a chosen instrument of mine. I will show you how much you're going to suffer for my name's sake. You've been, getting, you've been granted the privilege to suffer for Jesus, Paul. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, in our culture, we want a cosmic Santa Savior. Hey, uh, just come to Jesus and he's going to take care of you and everything's going to be great and you're not going to have any pain. And once you ask him to save you, he's going to pour the Holy Spirit in you. And that's going to be almost like an immunization booster that's going to prevent any kind of sickness and disease coming your way. That's the gospel that's being preached in our culture. It doesn't work. I was telling my friend Alex, who's living with Barb and I right now, she had a friend in town, Megan. I looked at her yesterday and I said, she was asking a question. I said, yeah, that's a good question. I said, think about this. How you answer this one question right here is going to determine your theology. It's going to determine how you do life. It's going to determine how you do marriage. It's going to determine how you parent. This question, this question, I promise you, it's, it's, it's a question that's been posed, but to me, it continues to be answered inaccurately. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why? And as soon as you answer, according to the secular humanist of our day, you will say, well, Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Thus Jesus exists for you. And everything we do in life with that perspective will drive us to get our needs met how we want them to. But if we ever conclude 
Why did Jesus die on the cross? He died to glorify his Father. Why do you exist, Tim? To glorify the Father. But Chad, as soon as we can reduce him down to manageable terms, and, well, he died on the cross for me. That's the reason we bogusly highlight the 413s and 419s. My God's going to supply all I need. Start highlighting more verses on suffering. Highlight verses that say in this world you'll have trouble. Highlight verses that say that God desires for you to become broken bread and spilled out wine. Highlight verses that deal with God emptying you so that he can fill you with him. I'm just telling you right now, Bobby, we live in a culture of false teaching to me that loves to make the gospel about us. And it's not about us. It's about the glory of God. Father, I have glorified you by accomplishing the work that you sent me to do, now glorify your son. Yes, that's right. Is it a rabbit's foot approach, Tim? No. Is it a lucky charm approach? No. It is repenting, saying, Jesus, I desperately need you to save me from me and for you to live your life through me every day. Show me, show me daily how to, how to live this life so yoked up to you that you are Lord and master and controller of all things. It's not about me. It's not about me. So we're not trying to advance the kingdom of Nick Slade, Tim Cash, Dustin Wilbanks, or Steve Trailer here. Almost eight years ago, I stood here for the very first time, and we're excited to introduce to you for the very first time my new pastor, Tim Cash. I said, praise the Lord. And I said, guys, let me say this before I say anything. There's not a new leader of this church. I know it's been mistaken over the last weeks, months, and years. But the leader of this church is Jesus Christ, not me. And we will give him rightful place again so that Jesus has preeminence at this place. Amen. You may have a new lead shepherd, but we don't have a new leader. There's only one, and it's Jesus. So here, 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 here's, here's my close. Here's my close. Please. It, it doesn't even matter what time it is. Seriously. Auburn sucks. Georgia sucks. The Falcons can't play. We are locked into the word of God. We're going we're to stay here until we're done. Seriously. What are we pulling for? Braves, they're done. Come on. It, it, doesn't matter. it doesn't matter. Pull from Monroe area where Kevin Reach, our buddy, is coaching. They're eight. No, I'm pulling. I'm, I'm wearing purple hurricane stuff. Come on. But here's the deal. Here's, here's the deal. In your, in your bulletin, I would, I would encourage you to do this. I'm going to write down two things that I'm thankful for. And it'd probably be good to do it right now. I'm going to write two things down that I'm thankful for. And, and that just, just, I'm thankful, God. For your salvation. I'm thankful for your grace. I'm thankful for your patience. Lord, I'm thankful for the work you still do in me. I'm thankful for Philippians 1 6. That, okay, that's cool. I'm thankful for Philippians 1 6. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm going to center on that one today. Lord, I'm thankful for Barb. I'm going to center on that covenant relationship with her today. Throughout the day, 
driving down the road, wherever I go, I'm giving thanks for those two things. Tomorrow morning, I get up, write down two new things. Throughout the day, no matter where I'm at, I'm giving thanks throughout the day for those two things. I wonder what kind of attitude you will have after 21 days of focusing on that. Because I am convinced that gratitude and thankfulness trump anxiety and worry. I'm going to focus on these two things. Why? Because I'm allowing the peace to rule. And I'm allowing the word to richly dwell. And in word and in deed, whatever I do, I'm going to do it for the glory of my king with a thankful heart.